Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is a very special one. I was incredibly honoured to interview Dr Gladys McGarry. Dr Gladys is more than 100 years old. She's 102 and she is still a consulting doctor. She has had an incredible career, an incredible life. She has been a pioneer in medicine and in holistic medicine. We talked about lots of things in this interview. She's written a new book, The Well-Lived Life. So in my preparation for this interview, I was thinking about the questions that I would ask her about what it means to live life well, what things we all need to consider when it comes to our health, our physical health, mental health, our emotional health. Of course, what does it take to have a long life? So life longevity, but also to have as well as just lifespan, to have health span, to feel good every day. Because essentially, isn't that what keeps us alive? Isn't that what gets us out of bed every day? Not just the work that we do or the people that we're with, but the joy that we experience in life. So I was really looking forward to the conversation. And once the interview started, I kind of forgot about all of my questions, to be honest. I listened to her stories. I was totally led by Dr. Gladys, and I really enjoyed listening to her. I feel like she's earned the respect and the time of of us as listeners. I feel like I'm joining you as a listener of this episode to really listen to her stories and her wisdom, and especially her story about the frog. When you get to the story about the green frog, oh my goodness, I feel like my heart was actually bursting. She's so she's just such a wonderful person. I was actually able to see her. We were connected via, via video link so I could see her and she's just so engaging. I, I don't really know how much I, I could contribute or add to this conversation. I just wanted to listen and learn. And also she was so amazed and excited about the fact that we could record this podcast episode from the other side of the world and that technology, the things that we take for granted, you know, I've been traveling a lot recently. And even when you get onto a flight, you connect to the Wi-Fi. There's all of these things that I think we just take for granted. I certainly take for granted. And it was really nice for her to acknowledge that she's in America. I'm in the UK. We're connected via a video screen. She grew up in a time when there were no telephones. There were no TVs. There were, she didn't have the technology to be able to connect with someone on the other side of the world, let alone record the conversation and then share it with thousands and thousands of people. So let's dive in to this week's episode with Dr. Gladys. Sit back, relax, listen to her wisdom, and I hope that you enjoy this as much as I did. Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker, and author. Each week, I speak to a variety of guests, from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, changemakers and innovators, to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by, and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire, so I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Gladys Magari, a pioneer of holistic medicine and author of The Well-Lived Life, a 102-year-old doctor's six secrets to health and happiness at every age. Dr. Gladys, 
thank you so much for joining us. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Well, I think the best place to start because I've read, you know, so much of your work and some interviews about the book. And I think, you know, you, I've read that you believe that a doctor cannot cure the body without looking at the mind and soul at the same time. Now, in more recent years, I think people have started to adopt this and think about this, but you've been talking about this for a very long time. So when you first started talking about this connection between the body, the mind and the soul, how did people initially respond? <laughs> well, the idea was pretty woo-woo, you know, and I was called on kinds of interesting names, which I won't repeat, but um, it was a time in the late late 60s and early 70s when we were really when we started the American Holistic Medical Association and then about uh, five years after that I came over to London to help start the British one and so you know that was a long time ago but um, actually you British were more receptive to the concept um, than my American <laughs> community was because Prince Charles was really <laughs> talking about diet and so on, which was really an interesting thing. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The things that people maybe before, you know, as, as I mentioned, this disconnect between treating the physical body, you know, the way we used to think about the mind and mental health, about nutrition, about all of these things, and it changes and evolves over time. Where do you see where do you see where we are now? I suppose in pe in terms of people's understanding of overall health and well being, do you see that it's been massively improved? Do you think there's still a long way to go? up and down, you know, it goes up a while and down a while, but actually it depends on what each individual, It the, there is a, a, certainly a global concept about these things, but unless it touches us individually, it doesn't go any place. I mean, we have to each, each one as a individual body, mind, spirit, connection accept the concepts and work, allow our whole being to work with that or it, it um, gets jumbled and mixed up and unconfused so it's it's an individual process and so when we we give um concepts that are you know, available to people, it's our own responsibility to accept them. Hmm. It's like my eldest son, when he finished his training as an orthopedic surgeon, came through Phoenix and he said, Mom, I'm, I'm really scared. I'm going to go into the world. I'm going to have people's lives in my hands. I don't know if I can handle that. And I said to him, well, Carl, if you think you're the one that does the healing, you have a right to be scared. But if you can understand that it's your job to do this amazing work of orthopedic surgery, which if you need orthopedic surgery, that's what you need. You know, you don't need a change of diet particular. You just need to get this done. 
And I said, you do your job to the best of your ability, and then you depend on and rely on the physician within that patient to take what you've said, what you've told them, what you've done, and they do the healing. Mm -hmm. Because we, no matter what the how um, important the physician's work is on the outside, of the patient, unless the patient accepts what has been said and makes it active within themselves, it doesn't go anyplace. Yeah, that's such an interesting point around individual responsibility. And unfortunately, I think that often what comes into that conversation is blame and shame and people feel you know, it's not a nice feeling. Sometimes people don't receive that information well, but I, I completely agree that when you have real individual responsibility, so you decide it's my responsibility to take care and to look after my body and my mind, the foods that I eat, how much I move my body, how much sleep I get each night. These things, you know, for one day, it's quite small, you know, just one night of sleep. But if you add it up every week, every month, every year, it's impacting your overall health and your entire life. Then of course, one person's diet or one person giving you, okay, this is the exercise that's going to change your life. Or this is the going on a retreat for a week, a yoga retreat for one week. And then people return back. But I, I just, I really hope that yeah, with all of your, I mean, years of knowledge and experience and expertise, you're still sharing and telling us that actually it's not to look to a guru or somebody else, but we have to take that responsibility for ourselves. I think that's really, really powerful. And the importance of living the moment is vital too, you know, because uh, 10 minutes from now, I could be in a completely dis different position and so on. We don't know where what the future is going to hold. However, if we're in a situation where we're looking towards the light, looking towards healing, looking, reaching for something, reaching what I call reaching for our true humanity, then that's, that's where we're going to go. But if we're stuck someplace and it can happen we could be stuck in shame or or pain or some disease process we get stuck if we're stuck and that's where we remain with our thinking if our mind takes us there all the time that makes it very hard for the body and the spirit to help move us out of the stuck place and into where we can begin to go. And I mentioned at the start, you know, the book talks about secrets to health and happiness. Now, I think that when it comes to health, most people would say, yes, I want to be healthy. And they'd also say, yes, I want to be happy. Now, in the work that I do in the well-being space, if I asked people, OK, what are three things that you could do to focus on improving your health over the next few weeks? I'm pretty sure people could tell me, OK, I'm going to. I'm going to drink less alcohol. I'm going to eat well. I'm going to start, you know, running again. I'm going to go to Pilates. They would tell me things they were going to do, actions that they could take, and they'd feel quite, um, they'd have clear, uh, tangible things. But if I ask them the same question, okay, what things can you focus on over the next few weeks to improve your happiness? 
I don't think people could list those things so easily. I think people think of happiness as something that's much more about what happens to them. It's about situation and circumstance. They don't take an active role in participating in their own happiness. So do you think that when it comes to people who say, yes, I want my life to be healthy and happy, do we need to adopt the same approach when it comes to our own happiness? Oh, absolutely. Because think about it. If if you have accepted the idea that you should eat properly and the whole time you're fixing the food or you're eating it, you're saying, oh, this is horrible. I hate this. I don't like this. What do you think your stomach's going to say? It's going to say, I don't like this food. No matter how much you have put time and energy into saying this is going to be good for me. All right, well, that's the the connection of all our body, mind, and spirit is so essential because it's very good to say this is going to be good for me. And, but if, if you have uh, decided that you don't like that or your body has told you you'll get, get heartburn if you eat that or something, you know, and you go on eating it and saying, this is awful, I shouldn't be eating this, uh, your body is going to react that way. We can't separate our body, mind, and spirit. And I've found that it's a really nice thing and a very a thing to do that helps me a lot is to bless my food before I eat it. You know, just say, thank you, Lord, for this blessing of food mm-hmm. is, is uh, something that puts my mind into a place that says, okay, it's blessed, you know, and it's, it's a, I'm, I'm very grateful to have this. It, the, it, we can't be, if we diso- dissociated parts of ourselves and think that we're going to heal everything by just doing that, uh, the beautiful thing is that our body, mind, and spirit will call our attention to it if, and bring us back. You know, because it's always there. Yeah. Yeah. So we just don't, we're not looking for it. Yes. So being grateful, recognizing the things that do make us feel good, that do make us feel happy. Because as you said, sometimes we don't recognize, myself included, you know, we're busy, we might be doing multitasking, trying to do more than one thing. And you don't always recognize and appreciate the things that do lift your energy or your mood or make you feel happy. And going back to my thought on happiness, what are some things that you've seen, I suppose, over the over the years that have remained the same? And what are the things that have changed when it comes to people, individual happiness? What are those things that I guess have stood the test of time? And yeah, which things have changed when it comes to what people today are doing to try and, and make themselves feel happy? Well, the, the most important of all is love the most important healing aspect of our whole being is love. The most important aspect of medicine, the Native Americans have always known this, and I've certainly learned this over the years, is love. In other words, if we can do a modality uh, as a physician or as a person taking on a modality, if we can 
like, for instance, what's best, osteopathy, chiropractic, med uh, you know, uh, allopathic medicine, holistic medicine, all these different modalities are there and each one has their own place. But it, if it, any one of them is done without love, it doesn't do the same thing as any one of them would do if it was done with love. Love is the great healer. If, if you can, um, if a physician can really in their soul accept the fact, and I think this is a fact, that each patient that I work with has within them their own healer, their own physician, who then becomes my colleague. This is the person I want to work with, is that colleague within the patient. And I, I love that colleague because I love that aspect of being able to, to know, and I know these things, to know that within each of the people that I'm working with, or each of the friends that I'm being happy with, or, you know, that within them is the same aspect of healing that I'm carrying within myself, which I'm has my training and all that kind of stuff. Mm, so it's almost like the potential, the potential within them, you can see that and, and I guess, and nurture that. And you mentioned that love is the most important thing, which I, you know, I have a big smile on my face when I hear you say that. And you talk about how important it is for us to, to practice self-love for ourselves, but also for other people as well, and the importance of community for our health and for our happiness. So I'd love to talk about that, about community in the modern world. I think many people find it difficult. A lot of people, you know, I've read a lot of um, studies recently talking about loneliness and saying that many, many young people, specifically male young people in the United States um, are suffering from loneliness. They don't have a community of, of friends, of peers. And I think that the modern world, as much as it's brilliant to have digital innovation and technology, I think many people are struggling to, to find real, true connection and community. So yeah, could you tell us, I suppose, why we, how important really is love and community? Well, you know, uh, because one, you, you mentioned the fact that the young people are really feeling lonely and so on. But one of the things that we've done, which I think is a big mistake in our country, we used to have arts and music and uh, gymnastics and so on as part of our curriculum. And then about 15, 20 years ago, we took it out of the, it was reading, writing, and arithmetic. Well, reading, writing, and arithmetic are mind stuff. Mm -hmm. They don't include the whole person. And if we're t continuing to teach our children that this is what's most important in life, is reading, writing, and arithmetic. And we don't give them the actual juice that, that a young person needs to realize that within them 
They have a song to sing. They have a picture to look at. They have something to paint. They want to run a race. They want to be uh, uh, the one that jumps the highest, you know? I mean, these kind of things in our educational system for somehow has been pushed way in the background and our, our young people are suffering from that. You can't get that from your computer. You can't get that from your iPad. You have to get it from, an, from a friend, from somebody who's there to work with you on the whole thing. And do you think that that continues, I suppose, so after school age, as you said, the education system oh. is so much focus on reading, writing, arithmetic, and then I think achievement as well is a huge focus. Right. So then as you're becoming a young adult, those things that you mentioned around creative art and music and sport become almost less important because we're so focused on achievement and what job title we're going to have, how much money we're going to earn, you know, all these kind of things that I feel like we kind of diminish the importance, but we also... I don't know, we don't celebrate the th those things in the same way, would you agree? Yes, I think, and I think that's wrong. I think we need to celebrate those. In fact, we tell, I tell the story about uh, James in, my, in the book that I wrote, who had to take a, a vision quest. He had to go off by himself into the mountain, much to his parents' dismay to find out what it was that he needed for himself. He became a musician and he's a very good musician, but it was something that, that in his heart, he couldn't find until he got off by himself and, and communicated with himself. So, you know, we, we have uh, all the things that we've done that are great with, diet and exercise and all these things, they're great. But if we have diminished them to a point in which uh, either we as in, the, in my category, the elderly are, they don't know what to do. They, we, don't, we haven't given them the uh, opportunity to continue with the things that made them happy and continue to do that, you know. It's a, it's a, um, if we're going to live our lives and live them to the, for the moment, which I think is essential, um, then we need to have the things in those lives that really we want there. It's what, it's what I would like to see. I love the idea that I can sit here and talk to you in London. Can you believe that? I mean, this is awesome. Yeah. But if if I just talk to you and you just talk to me, and that's fine, we'll have a good time. But if there weren't other people who would pick it up and say, Oh, I yeah, that's kind of nice. Well, that one, that that one I like. You know, it's a matter of being willing to communicate with each other no matter where we are, no matter who we are, because we're all human. Yeah. You know, E.T., when he was looking for home, I think we're all looking for the same thing. 
Well, Gladys, you've had an incredible life, an incredibly long life. You're 102 years old. So when it comes to living well, and a half. 102 and a half. <laughs> yes, very important. You, I'd love to know what are the things that you do that make you feel energized? You know, you've got so much, you do so much, you travel, you've done all these things in your life, in your work. What are the things that you do to feel that joy in your life every day? Well, you know, at 102 now, my eyesight is not good at all. I can't read. I listen to audiobooks because my eyesight isn't working that. But there's nothing wrong with my insight. Mm. Okay? So I can, there are things that are really important to me. Uh, I have a prayer that I use in the morning when I wake up or middle of the night. I have hymns and songs that go through my head. And I, uh, if, if I'm having a quiet time, I can always call on those. There are things that I've learned to do to, that make me happy. They may not, uh, you know, make anybody else happy. But the point is, we find the things that are there for us to work with. And I, I walk, I have my walker because I'm not steady. My knees don't work as well as they used to and all that stuff. I go up and down my steps because my bedroom's in the, in the upstairs. So I go up and down those all day. But I also walk with my walker uh, 3,800 steps a day. And sometimes I make it and sometimes I don't, but mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's my goal is that. And the, my walker works very well, you know. I, I, I'm not ashamed of it. In fact, he's named Skywalker. It's, <laughs> it's something that, it, you know, you take what you have, you use it the best that you can, and make fun, make it yeah. fun, you know? Yeah. You also talked about, you mentioned a few times now, living in the now. And when I've had people on the podcast before who've talked about mental health, they might've talked about people with anxiety, they're worried about the future. So they might be worried about big things like climate change, or they might be worried about things in their personal future. And this idea of worrying about the future and change, you know, when we experienced COVID, you know, such a scary time where so many people felt fear for the future. You've mentioned a few times living in the now. How do you think about change and fear and anxiety? Do you still feel that yourself? I think that uh, I know these things are there. I can spend a lot of time being afraid. And there have been times when I've been scared Really, you know, things have happened in my life that have been very uh, traumatic and very scary. But those aren't the things that I dwell on because I kind of look like this. If I have a, a cut on my hand, on my arm, and I spend my time thinking about that and picking at that scab, it'll never heal. But if I do what I can do to let it heal and then allow it to heal, it will heal. 
And then sometime it'll come back and I'll say, oh, uh, hello, I know who you are. You know, it's something that's a memory. It's not something that continues to be painful or whatever it is because I've let it go into something that it doesn't matter. One of the, the uh, secrets in, in the book is the, the lesson that my mother taught my sister and me. And we were in our 90s when we realized this. We were st sitting together and talking and, and we would do this and then we'd talk a little bit more and then we'd do this. And, and all of a sudden we said to each other, why do we do that? And we looked at each other and we said, we don't know, but, but we did it all the time. And then we said, well, who, who, did it, who did that? Because we knew there was somebody in our lives that had been doing it. And we said, Mama did it. And we looked at each other, and we were 90 years old, okay? And we said, uh, why did she do that? And then we both said, at the same time, oh, she said, oh, Kuch Parani, which in Hindustani, because I was, we were in, we were born and raised in India. Kuchparwani means it doesn't matter. Mm. And so the, the little things, the big things, and or things that at different times in your life have come along and could have impact and probably impact you hard. And you took them in and, and said, oh, that, that hurt my feelings or oh, that's a terrible thing, but you took them in, there'll come a time when either that is just something you can look at and look and say, well, I'm past that now. It doesn't matter. And you can take your, see the thing, whatever it is, in your hand and just hold it up to the, to the divine and so that you know that you've got it. And then you hold it and you just let your hand open up and drop down and say, it doesn't matter. And if you, you know, you'd be surprised how many times that will get you through a stuck place, no matter whether it's um, something that you're ashamed of, whether it's something that you have done that you feel that you uh, shouldn't have done, it, it really does, it's a physical, it's a Tai Chi movement, it's a physical movement that allows your body to take this whole issue and just let it go. Because Kuchparwane means it doesn't matter, I'll let it go. Wow, that is a really powerful and useful tool. I'm gonna think oh, about that myself. Huge. Yeah, I yeah. Know. and actually when you mentioned you and your sister being 90 years old when you realized that, I think for some people, sadly, that, you know, they might not live to that age. And so many people hold on to so many things, whether it's anger about things that have happened to them, whether it's feelings, as you said, of rumination of, oh, I should have done this differently, or I wish I'd said that, or even things, people that they don't even see anymore, whether it's their own parents or ex-husbands or people who right. they feel that this it's there, as you said, it's, it's there, it's a heaviness or it's a pain that's there. And sadly, I think so many people have that and they never let it go you know they might go to their grave and still have this clenched fist of anger or resentment or or sadness about something that they could never change and and there's things that you're ashamed of 
And those things can stop you and stick you, get you stuck too. Now, I, I have a story that I tell in the book about when I was in third grade and um, I, I was, I still am dyslexic, dyslexic is something that, you, you know, makes it difficult for you to read and write. But I had to repeat first grade twice I was a class dummy. I was really, it was the first time. But in third grade, my teacher saw something in me that, that the others hadn't. And she appointed me class governor because in India, you know, we had governors and so on. So, so I became, and I could present things to the student body. And so I could talk and I could do a bunch of things that, that, that uh, you know, worked. So we had a play that we had to do for the whole student body. And since I I was bigger than the other kids because I was older than the other kids, then I could do <laughs> The play was the frog jumped over the pool pond. So I could be the frog. Well, I was real proud of this. And my mother made me a frog suit that she dyed green. And, and um, so I came marching out onto the stage, the, the Pan was there that I knew I could jump over. I'd done it a dozen times. But as I walked in, my brothers were in the front row of the audience, and it threw me off my step just enough that when I jumped to jump over the pond, I landed in it. Oh, no. And there I stood crying because I was so ashamed. My The green was fading off of my... my frog suit and I couldn't move and the audience was in stitches they were laughing and laughing and laughing and the teacher had to come off and lead me off the stage so when we got home we're sitting at the dinner table and my brothers are telling my mother this story about how funny it was and so on and she didn't say a word until finally she said all right boys now you've had your fun. What can we do as a family to help Gladdy so that if she ever gets into this kind of situation again, she'll be able to have people laugh with her and not against her. And it's been a life-saving thing for me because this whole dyslexia thing sort of not only makes it so that uh, people can't read or write properly, but balance can be a thing too. So there are times when I've stepped up onto the, a stage and tripped and fallen, but I've always found something that I could say that immediately grabbed the, the audience. So I had an audience that was laughing before I said one word. In other words, it was um, a lesson that I learned from my mother. Again, my mother was an amazing person that allowed me to see things differently so that it doesn't have to be uh, something that you're ashamed of, but it can be really, really funny sometimes. 
Yeah, and how incredible that she did that for you and that you've remembered that story. And honestly, hearing the story, it was just so heartbreaking when you said that. <laughs> but I think we all have something like that. I'm sure we all have a moment in our life that can, we can remember, whether we were a child, whether we are an adult, where you feel like you've made a mistake or you've done something, you feel humiliated. And exactly as you described, being allowed to say, I don't need to hide this mistake if I trip up or if I do something wrong. Actually, we all make mistakes. It's not easy to laugh at yourself. I think people find that incredibly difficult. It's not easy because we think we have to show our best version to people or we have to show how professional we are or how wonderful and talented we are when actually we are all human. We all have these mistakes, but we just, we try to hide them. I think we're afraid to show people our mistakes because then they're gonna maybe think, yeah, think less of us or they're not gonna, yeah, I don't know, see us as perfect, which of course none of us are. And let me tell you a story right along with that. When I was 19, had just had a wonderful 99th birthday party, okay? And I was coming, I stopped at the grocery store. I was still driving. And I put my groceries in my basket and I was pushing it to my car. And as I got to my car, an elderly gentleman came by and he said, oh, may I help you? And I said, no, no, I can do it myself. And he pushed stands up straight and he says, well, I'm 86. Well, I don't know why that pushed something within me. I shook my shoulders back and I said, well, I'm 99. And I strutted off and put my things in the car. And I sat down and I said, you nasty old woman. What? A, he was just being nice. What do you think? So I sat there just thinking, you should go back in now and, and find him and apologize and all all of this I was going through until finally I realized that was hysterically funny. These two old people like <laughs> kindergarten kids standing there saying, I'm older than you are. <laughs> I mean, and I sat in my car and laughed until I, I had trouble catching, catching my breath. And I'm thinking, this is a wonderful comedy scene. You know, that it just, it was, it was really funny. <laughs> These universal patterns, I suppose, that repeat, as you said, it's almost uh, like a parody. That's great. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I really appreciate your time. As I said, I'm so grateful that you would come and join us and we could do this virtual conversation and record this episode. I'm so, so grateful for your time. And Thank on you. this show, I always ask people to tell us about the first hour of their day. Now I call this the power hour. That's why it's called the power hour podcast, because I believe that if we take some time in the morning before we go into our busy lives, before we go into our work emails or taking our children to school or looking at our to-do list, 
if we start with some time to think about what we want to do, maybe look at the birds, maybe go for a run, maybe just enjoy the coffee. And I really love hearing from everyone who comes onto the podcast about what they do in the morning, why they do it. So Dr. Gladys, could you share with us what the first hour of your day typically includes? Well, the first thing is (laughs) when I wake up, I'm grateful to be awake again. And I have my own personal prayer that I use. When I finish with that, I do the bathroom job, get myself clothed enough that we could, you know, I can go outside and and uh, if, if the weather is nice and so on, I can use my uh, walker or I can use my uh, tricycle and do some. It won't be a big ride or it won't be a big run, but it'll be something that'll let me get my breath and I can continue to do that. And then uh, right now I have these podcasts that are, <laughs> are showing up and I have the opportunity of doing this kind of thing. I can't imagine myself doing this when I, even last year, I mean, the idea that we can do this sort of thing and reach out to each other is awesome. So we have to find what it is for ourselves. I I couldn't have, you know, anyway, Find what it is that's working for you at the time and then do that and uh, get your breakfast. I have raisin bran and, and prunes for breakfast and and uh, uh, do what I need to do, clean up and do what, and, you know, go on into lunch. Uh, I mean, each day <clears throat> is something that uh, if I've had, if I haven't, nothing else that I have that is urgent to do. And I'm telling you, there's still things that are urgent to do. Um, I listen to an audio book and there are amazing books that are available, which, uh, you know, it's, it's worthwhile. Mm. And I listen to some music, but, but I have my, uh, number two, my, second son is here with me to help me with this this technology thing. He's a retired Presbyterian minister and he's here now spending time with me. It's uh, life is awesome. It's absolutely awesome. And there's always something else that shows up. Yeah, there really is. There's always something else. And as you say, technology continues to change so quickly. So being able to do things that, you know, as Apple just released a, a virtual reality headset. So, you know, there's already an, and obviously AI is coming into so much of our lives and so much of our work. So who knows yeah. what the next 100 years is, is going to bring for I us never, all. When I was young, I had no telephone. There was no no way to... Um, communicate with the outwards, outside world. I mean, you know, there was nothing. And now you've written this wonderful book, which I'm sure is going to be read by people around the world, everywhere. What's the What's the hope? Who did you write this book for? <laughs> for everybody, for people. Yeah. It's not for young. It's not for old. It's it's 
for all of us. We are all the same. And and so and we all have our side ups and downs and pain and, and joy and and hope and we're living in the same world and and we've uh Mother Earth is here with us, you know, to help us and we've been kind of mean to her. So, you know, it's it's uh we're all part of the whole. Uh, I, I, I'm in awe of the, the fact that I can do this kind of thing. Uh, last week, one day, I talked to three different pe people from India. And it was wonderful, you know. All of a sudden, I was back in a place, in my mind, in a place where I couldn't, uh, when I was a child, I couldn't talk to anybody except my people, uh, my family or the village people or whoever happened to be around. And here I was talking to three, and here I was in Scottsdale talking to three different people at different times who were part of the whole picture in India. Uh, how awesome is that? And so who knows what will be next year? Who knows what'll be a month from now? Absolutely, absolutely. And as you said, life is awesome. And I fully, I fully embrace that sentiment. And I think it's a wonderful, wonderful place to end the conversation today. So thank you again so much. And I really hope that the listeners, I'm sure they've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. So thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.